today's podcast, we are ready to go. We're going to preview all four NFL playoff games. We're going to make every single pick. We're going to keep the pick contest going, give you some nerdy little numbers in there, and give you the quarterback pressure rankings, one through eight. We're going to talk the playoffs, but more importantly, Buffalo and who they are as a team in the aftermath of the DeBar Hamlin story, which is heading in a great direction. And we're going to do it with Jim Nance, who had the call of the regular season finale with that kickoff return. Uh, Nance's career, a little master stuff, all sorts of fun stuff with a guy that has been around and doing it at a high level for a long time. We've got our picks and life advice. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon, the perfect pants do exist, and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable, and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics, all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands, or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cashback on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, subject to credit approval, savings available to Apple Card owners, subject to eligibility, savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC, terms apply. We are on to the next round. Let's talk NFL playoffs. We'll break down all four games. Just kind of one maybe nerdy fact that I've sifted through all of the stuff and also the picks coming off a of five-in-one week last week. People know this about me. They've said it since I was a kid. I probably shouldn't say it now and shakes myself, but they're like, come playoff time. That Rosillo kid steps up. Okay, Dallas, three-and-a-half-point favorites last year against San Francisco. They lost to the Niners. Uh, going into that Tampa matchup, there was one consistent thing I kept coming back to. And again, you can find some statistical matchup, something you think that actually is super important, and then it ends up not being a factor whatsoever. Uh, but I thought that Tampa's O-line issues, even with Ryan Jensen back, and the fact that Dallas has the pass rush that they have, that that was a very clear advantage. And Tampa was probably the most one-dimensional football team of any teams that were entering the playoffs. Like, seriously, you think about like, hey, when I think about Tampa, now granted, they're getting some of their guys back healthy. It didn't matter. It wasn't a close football game. Having said all of those things, it's weird how the wild card round kind of leads to the maybe outsized momentum for a bunch of different teams and usually quarterbacks as well. It's happening with Daniel Jones. We'll get to that. But it'll be a team where you go, Wait, you doubted and hated on the Cowboys for weeks, and they beat a Tampa team that, as we said, is very limited and super predictable, and now it's like, look out, Cowboys, all of a sudden? I know it's Brock Purdy, but I just can't see it right now, so you're already going to be able to tell where my lean is. Uh, Against Tampa, Dallas ran 64 snaps of two deep safety. Why? Because they knew Tampa wasn't going to run. They couldn't run. They hadn't been running for months. They were just going to drop back and pass the, the entire time. I can't imagine how easy the prep was for Dallas's defense going into this. And by the way, shout out to the Athletics' Ted Nguyen, who's joined us before on the podcast, uh, providing us with that number. So I'm not smart enough to tell you, hey, this is what they're going to do. They're going to do more of a cover three, and they're going to do all these different things against San Francisco. It's just that San Francisco is a completely different challenge because of their balance, because of their blocking, and some of the stuff that they're doing now with Christian McCaffrey, who I, when he was traded, I got to admit, I don't value running backs, especially expensive ones, especially ones with injury histories, but it's going to feel a bit like the Anthony Davis trade here, which isn't the best comparison because I can understand all the arguments against it. I don't know what McCaffrey means long term, but right now in the short term, he's a matchup nightmare again. He's a serious problem. He's 11 touchdowns 
since he's been with San Francisco. And you can see that there's a concern factor with him that doesn't necessarily translate just to his raw stats, how many carries, how many receptions. Uh, some weeks he's is an attack in the passing game. Some weeks it's the other way around. The top leading rushers in the Seattle game were McCaffrey, and then it was Debo and Brock Purdy. So production at the running back position after McCaffrey at that position is somewhat of a concern, but it isn't here because I just like San Francisco minus three and a half in this one. Uh, because it's just a completely different challenge of what Dallas has. All right, the second game here, Philadelphia and the New York Giants. Philly, if we were going to take temperatures of, of momentum that I was touching on in the beginning there, kind of the Daniel Jones may have the hottest temperature right now. Philadelphia is far too low. Maybe we're assuming too much. Uh, I know maybe it was the Hurts injury. Maybe it was just them not feeling like they were a factor because everything was sewn up early on with them. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I feel like we're not talking about Philly. And I kind of hate that phrase, so I'm calling myself out on it. But Philly should feel really good. Philly fans should feel really good. Going into this matchup against New York, they've beaten them two times, week 14 and week 18. Week 18, I don't really know what it means. Wrestling players, 22-16. But let's go back to the 48-22 matchup. Um, Hertz did, uh, you know, I guess they're arguing less designed runs for him. He did carry it nine times for 13 yards, but there's a difference between full carries and designed runs on that one. So he wasn't super productive. Does that mean there's something there with the Giants? Uh, I don't know. Let's keep digging it through this. Uh, I do think he, he ran more in the first half of the season. Uh, when you look at what the Giants have now, the defensive line, Dexter Lawrence, we, talked, uh, we touched on him with uh, Willie Colon, and all you had to do was watch that Vikings game being like, this guy's serious. If you look at nose tackles lining up, all right, quarterback hits four nose tackles. Dexter Lawrence is getting a QB hit on 5.3% of his snaps at nose tackle. That is double the national average. I guess we would call it the National Football League average at 2.6. But the Eagles O-line is arguably the best in football. Uh, week 14, the Giants blitzed 53% of the Eagles' design dropbacks. So now you're thinking, wait, does this mean that that's something to look at week 14 and they're going to go ahead and blitz hurts on some of the stuff? Uh, Hertz, I thought was was good, but you could look at some of the limitations on the actual yardage per some of those plays against the blitzes, where it would maybe work in the Giants' favor. I think the biggest thing with the Giants is, at least on the defensive side of the things, is Ojolari didn't practice on Wednesday. By the time this post, that could change. You could argue the Giants feel better. Uh, about their four-man rush, so they're not going to have to blitz as many times. My guess would be that the Giants, depending on what kind of personnel they have in a four-down lineman allotment, or I should say alignment, uh, are they going to just hope, hey, can we get pressure with this group? Because if we aren't, then we're going to have to start blitzing again. Now, when you start looking at some of this blitz stuff and feeling like, okay, this will be what they do in the playoff game because it's what they did in the regular season. There's plenty of times where that's completely misleading. I will never forget my favorite example of all time when the Patriots won their first Super Bowl. They played the Rams at home. They blitzed Kurt Warner literally every single time. Uh, after the game, there was a quote saying, I got blitzed as soon as I got off the bus. They match up in the Super Bowl. The game plan was very, very different. So that also is how it worked uh, in the Giants against the Vikings. They lose to the Vikings in a last-second field goal in the regular season. They blitzed Minnesota a ton in that game, but they only blitzed them on 15% of Kirk Cousins' dropbacks during the playoff game. Maybe because after playing them, they realized this team really can't run the football all that much. So those are just some of the numbers to look at. I think the most important thing is, despite the Eagles giving up 9.2 yards per rush on QB-designed rushes, which is third worst in the NFL, uh, Jones only had eight yards and two scrambles in Week 14. 
I think the real thing here is that Jones just played the Vikings, who are 26th against the pass. The Eagles are six against the pass. The pick here is still the Giants, plus seven and a half. Week 10, Kansas City beat Jacksonville in KC. Uh, Kansas City now an eight and a half point favorite in this one. Uh, in that game, it was 27-10. Mahomes threw a pick with eight minutes left. So going back and thinking about how I felt when I was watching that game, I didn't really feel like Jacksonville had much of a chance. There is this Jacksonville part of the momentum rush here with the comeback against the Chargers where it's either the Chargers, or excuse me, the Jacksonville Jaguars found out something about themselves, right? If they were to be competitive with Kansas City, maybe even win and pull off the upset, you'd think Jacksonville found out. They learned about themselves that day in those final 30 minutes. Or if Kansas City wins this game, as I expect that they would, and I'm going to get to one specific pass number here, uh, then we'll go, you know what? Maybe we learned that the Chargers and Jags just aren't on that level. And I'm, I'm going with that. That's kind of what I'm going with here. Uh, Jacksonville's eighth in pass rush win rate. I can't wait to watch Walker again up close in this one after talking a little bit about his disappearing act against the Chargers. Maybe the film tells you something different. Maybe he graded out a lot better. You never know. It's just dudes on the couch. Uh, but the number one pass block win rate team, that is your Kansas City Chiefs. So we'll find out. I'm going to lay the eight and a half, even though in their last nine games, Kansas City is one seven and one against the spread. The headliner, Cincinnati at Buffalo. This opened at Buffalo minus three and a half on FanDuel right now. Bills minus five and a half. This is an O-line D-line thing. We know that Jamal Williams tackle didn't practice on Wednesday, and Alex Kappa is also out on Wednesday. Apparently, they both needed assistance still walking around on Sunday. I don't know about this one with the O-line. Major, major concerns. I almost feel like the Baltimore game was kind of a fluky game, and I guess I'm saying the same thing about Miami. I would expect because both were scary against far inferior opponents and with second and third string quarterbacks that we could get a really clean game here where it's like, man, look at this group at the top of the AFC. But... This number is alarming. With Von Miller, the Bills ranked fourth in NFL pressure rate with four or less pass rushers. Remember that opening week game against the Rams, which is totally fool's gold because it's not the way the sport works. People get hurt. You become two or three different teams over the course of a season, maybe even more. Uh, Chris Long has told us about how you know there were certain times, I think it was the Patriots. Well, I know it was the Patriots, but it was I don't know the exact date, but it was almost kind of like after Halloween, you start to figure out who you are, and that's kind of one of their mantras that was, was inside of the building. I think somebody else said after Thanksgiving, I don't know, that would feel a little late to be like, hey, you guys want to start playing some football after 10 weeks? So watching what Buffalo was capable of with Vaughn Miller and how dominant they were just with four guys, which I think is the goal for any defensive team, for any general manager putting together rosters. Like, is there any way we can build a D-line where we can get pressure with four? Because if we can do that, we can do a lot of other things. And if we can't ever get pressure with four, then we're fighting with a, you know, at a deficit every single week. Uh, and that's the problem now with the Bills because without Vaughn Miller, still four or less rushers, they are 27th in pressure rate. So the thing that they were really good at, we already knew this because Von Miller hasn't been there for a while, but the thing that they were really good at, they're not as good at anymore, but the thing that Cincinnati has always had problems with, they're probably going to even have more problems considering their own offensive line combination issues. I think they were up to 15 at one point. I think that was the graphic that I saw at one point. Uh, Hurst is better at tight end, but so is the Bills secondary. I think that group has started to come together uh, the last couple of weeks. Tredavious White has been better. So... There's another part of this Bills equation here where I feel like I'm being a little dismissive of their turnover issues. Uh, maybe it's just as simple as me sitting here saying they may be due to be clean. Uh, but I went through the eight-game winning stretch 
This Bills team has won eight in a row. And when you look at their losses, they're like, they could have won every one of these games. I guess that's why deep down I still have so much faith in this Bills team. Their turnover run during this eight-game win streak, they're even. They're even. They're plus minus, you know, their their turnover differential is zero. I went through them all. They've won the turnover battle three times. They've lost it four times. There was one push. Three and set, three and four in the turnover battle while you have an eight-game winning streak. So maybe it's just because I like Josh Allen so much now that I'm like, yeah, they probably turn it over a couple times and still win this game. And that's what we saw against Miami because I think one pick was on him. One definitely wasn't. It was a Beasley tip ball, and the fumble was completely on him to give up the lead. And now you're like, what the hell is going on with this team? So the Bills are the pick, minus five and a half. So to review... I'll lay the points with San Francisco. I will take the points with the Giants. I'll lay the points with Kansas City, despite their dreadful against the spread number. And I'll lay the points with Buffalo. One quick last addition to this. QB pressure rankings in order. Allen, the most pressure. Dak, because of Dallas. Mahomes, third. Burrow, fourth. Hurts, fifth. Lawrence, Jones, and Purdy. Best win would be New York at Philadelphia. It doesn't always work out this way, but the worst loss, I think, would be Philly against New York. Enjoy the playoffs. For the latest odds, check out FanDuelSportsbook.com. The NFL playoffs are heating up, and with FanDuel, every play is a rush. New customers, join today so you can bet the divisional round with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up with the promo code RYAN, R-Y-E-N. We will have all of our picks as the contest heats up here right before Life Advice, as we do on every Friday. America's number one sportsbook has all of your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. Plus, with FanDuel, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. FanDuel is also now live in Ohio, so make sure you get in on all the action, also with great offers just for you now and throughout January. So, football fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, with the promo code RYAN, R-Y-E-N. Make every moment more of FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Must be 21 and older in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by Crown Royal. This NBA season, Crown Royal is celebrating the loyal fans that show up for every tip-off. I love every tip-off. I love every one of them. And people ask me, hey, are you tipping off tonight? Because they know that's code for are the games on? And I'll say, yeah, come on over. Bring your kids. I don't care about the audio feed. You can walk in front of the television because this time of year, the second half of the NBA, it's about family. And that's one of my favorite things about my life. Crown Royal believes if you live generously, life will treat you royally. Visit crownroyal.com to get ready for tip-off. Please drink responsibly. Uh, he is a legend in broadcasting. He knows it. He's probably too humble to uh, to admit it. Uh, Jim Nance, CBS, who's tall. And, you know, I got to tell you, Jim, when I was going through the bio, I hope you take this as a compliment. You've just been doing it so long. I was like, man, this guy's still a young buck. <laughs> I appreciate someone actually saying that. Usually I get the flip side of that. Man, you've been around a long time. You're really old. I feel young. I have young kids. And uh, I'm energized every single day that, uh, you know, I, I tackle this, this profession. And I love every second of it, the, the whole process of getting ready for a weekend, going on the road, calling these games and golf tournaments. Uh, I consider myself very fortunate. And when you do the job that, that you have, you know, you are, you are greeting the country. Um, 
in all these these major major at these major events. And you have something that's special at the season finale with with Buffalo and New England coming off of the Demar Hamlin story. And you know, I can only imagine because I have some kind of follow ups. But I think the first question is like of all that goes into it and thinking, okay, I want to do a little of this, want to do a little of that. And then to have this moment where Naheem Himes takes back the opening kickoff, what's that moment like knowing that there's so much more to this than just a game? Well, it happens in a flicker of a second, and you can't even prepare for it. Did I have any idea that the opening kick would be returned for a touchdown or to have that in my head is even a possibility, not even remotely so. But that was an interesting week. Um, it was a week with a lot of heartfelt emotion around the whole country. I, the, the, the story was just so rich because it affected football fans and non-football fans. It galvanized the country. People that really aren't into football knew the story about a young man who was fighting for his life. It looked like he was going to die on a football field. And to see the outpouring and the love and the open prayers, you know, I suddenly became okay to talk about praying on the air. And it, it was an amazing time in this country. And you know, we have these little moments sometimes that unite us. And unfortunately, it always seems to be tied around some sort of tragic event. And they don't always have happy endings. And this one is on its way to having a happy ending. So you have this, this, this moment that just gripped us on a Monday night. We all think he's not going to survive it. And then each day it starts to trickle in with some positive news. And we had the game, and we knew there were going to be a lot of parts to it before we even kicked the football. Inserts into the NFL today, and et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, I felt super prepared to try to talk about what this moment meant to the Bills players and organization and what they had done. And once we kind of went through all of that, you turn around and the game is getting underway, and Naheem is on his way. And, uh, you know, I'm eyeballing it, and I see him cross midfield. I still didn't think he was going to break it. I thought there was a Patriot player who had an angle on him. But then I realized, this is going all the way. And only one word, one phrase entered my mind. Storybook. You know, you think, how long did it take him really to run? 14 seconds, maybe 10 of it before they cross the goal line? In 10 seconds, he's covering 96 yards. Your mind is kind of in slow motion, weirdly, Ryan. And I'm glad that word just kind of dropped in my head. I mean, I again, I couldn't have planned for it. And it was storybook. And I think it'll be a moment that one day might even lead to a movie. It sounds like a movie script. We use that terminology, don't we, a lot in sports. Oh, the Hollywood wouldn't even, they would, they'd send this script back if, if you wrote it. But I could see this being, uh, and some other people suggested, our version of Brian's song for this generation. I think there's, uh, particularly if the Bills go on and win the Super Bowl, I think there's a movie here in its storybook. The prep leading up to it, though, when you're going, okay, and this is one of those spots as a play-by-play person where you're like, okay, you know, and I'm always thinking about the person on the couch because I'm the person on the couch, right? And you're going, okay, well, if if I don't do enough on this, then it feels like it's it's... And we're, we're not sympathetic enough, oh, right? We're not yeah. getting the moment. But then if we do too much, then the guy on the couch is like, all right, I got it. <laughs> you know, you're, you're doing a lot on this story. And I felt like that Naheem return, it kind of, kind of just made the rest of it, like the rest of it was going to be okay. And That's so, so well yeah. said. Because I did. I did fret 
over that very thought. I see what you're talking about here, uh, leading up to it. How much do we deal with it during the game? We do have a game to cover. How solemn are we with our voice? How fevered pitch do we take it to when there's a big play? Do we dial it down? All these are thoughts that you're dealing with. And yeah, I hate this phrase. I've heard it my whole career. Let the game come to you. You've heard it. What does that mean? I, I mean, I think this might have been the first time I actually knew what that meant. And that meant you just have to like feel the scene. And because of that opening kickoff return, it did. It kind of lifted all of that unknown uh, out of the equation and gave us a chance to naturally get back into a football game. We were able to tie that moment to, can you believe this happened? A tribute run back basically for DeMar Hamlin. And it did, it did change things, but ultimately you go into it really unsure. You have to feel it. What does that mean? I mean, you just have to really play with it and trust your experience and your instincts and say, that's enough or that's not enough. Or that's the right pitch or that's not the right delivery. How has that, not only the you know the end of the season finale, we've had a couple of playoff games, and now we have the rematch. How has that impacted the preparation for this weekend? Well, I'm I'm juggling that again. So I've already talked to Jimmy Rickoff, who's our our leader, our producer. He's just an amazing professional, and I said to him at the beginning of the week, "How are we going to handle this story?" I mean, there's there's the pregame side of it, the opening sequence that you can game plan how you're going to do it. And then there's this big football game over here. Given the fact that he's now showing up at the compound or the facility basically every single day, the story is in a very nice, sweet spot. We're not going to ignore it. I don't think we're going to belabor it, but we'll definitely mention the significance of these two getting a chance to play a football game. And I mean, just the, how fitting is it, though, that it, it, it it's it's these two teams that on January the second didn't get to finish the game because of what happened, and now here they are playing in a high stakes football game. It's a balancing act. Again, I'm gonna have to feel it, but I think there's a happy component to it. And we're sitting here uh, a few days before the game, and we don't know. I you know I half expect he might be at the stadium on Sunday, and that would be an amazing scene because people really haven't seen him in public and maybe he's not on the field. I wouldn't expect that, but maybe he's up in uh, Terry Pagula's suite. They open up the glass window and he leans out and he, and he gives uh, a wave I and mean, it would be stirring. And all I know is over a moment like that, the best thing you can do lay out. That, no, that, that is a, that is a director's moment. And, you have to be sensitive to that. The same thing about feeling a moment. You know, th this is a very visual time, the, the Hamlin story. And I felt that way going into that game. There had to be sequences where you just let people feel like they're inside the arena. In fact, when they ran onto the field that day, they said, folks, I'm going to lay out now. I want you to feel like you're inside the stadium on this emotional day. Uh, I've mentioned this before. You know, I had a long discussion with Chris Fowler, who I got to travel with, got to know a little bit, and you know, the amount of prep and the pre-production meetings, right? And I was in some of those because I was traveling for college football and doing college game day radio, not my very limited play-by-play -play career. We didn't do that in minor league baseball. We had pre-production meetings with the opposing, you know, uh, 
Reading, Pennsylvania didn't sit down with me before a three game series. I love this part of it because you can be you can be tricked. You can you can learn something. You can feel a certain way. Like I never forget. I remember I was I was there for Florida State, Florida. It was Gainesville. I drove down to Bobby Bowden's hotel. I sat down with Bobby. You know, he would you would have thought he'd known me thirty years. Where just in two minutes, I'm like, no wonder this guy gets all these recruits. And it was at the end of his run, and I'm like, what's going to happen? He's like, Ryan, you know, the whole plan all along, and he just went along and along. So I was so excited. I thought I got to sit down exclusive. His whole thing was, I'm coming back next year. That was always the plan. Nobody needs to worry about it. He was fired on Monday. I spent all weekend <laughs> going like, hey, no, don't worry about it. I'm on the air. I was like, I just spoke with him because I felt like I had this amazing access. So there's, you've been doing this long enough where you can kind of feel it out, but. How often do you leave the pre-production process going up to a game feeling really certain? And maybe that was coming off of some of the stuff that you and Phil would share and now with Tony, where you go, this feels different. This feels specific. And the game actually played out that way. Because I'm sure there's plenty of times you've been tricked as well. Well, Tom, I'm going to take that that Saturday before the New England game. This, this was five days after his cardiac arrest. And we we talked to to Sean McDermott in a meeting room at the facility in Orchard Park from 10 to 11 that morning. And they were having a walkthrough from 11 to 12. They invited us to go attend the walk-in. There was no other media They'll go attend the walkthrough. The walkthrough, I saw a very loose and light bunch of guys running around being playful. They threw a pass, Josh threw a pass 30 yards up into the air where it came down like, like a rainfall into into McDermott's hands and the players went wild. He dropped the first one and they booed him and then they did it again and he caught it and they went crazy. They were light and loose. Just knowing that the day before they had seen DeMar on a Zoom, that eased their minds. The day before that, his father Mario had come on a Zoom and told the team, go play. This is what DeMar would want you to do. So we had a window into uh, into what was going on with the with the Bills. And on the backside of the walkthrough, they invited all their families to come run out onto that indoor practice facility. So you saw the the wives and the children run around. The dads were playing catch with their kids. This was not a team that that uh, you would have seen on Tuesday. They had come a long way. I mean, they had been through it all. But each day, they were they were feeling more and more confident and. Uh, I really felt coming out of that. And then we met with Mitch Moores and we met with Josh that uh, the team would be ready to play. They were in a good place, and and they were. I mean they they saw they saw New England rebound after that that start and make it a competitive game. This is a team that has you know, the number of things that have been presented to them, and and that region. I, mean, I hate to compare. I'm not saying one's more important or more adversity or more tragic than another, but I mean, you start with almost four dozen people dying in the second superstorm in that area. You take the first superstorm, which forced them to play a home game in Detroit. And then they had um, the inability to get home from a game because of one of the storms. They had to spend an extra night on the road in Chicago and, and of course, the mass shootings uh, earlier in the year. I mean, there's been so much hovering. And then you have the Damar Hamlin story. Um, 
it's been a lot. It's been it's been a whole lot. So um, I I did I did watch them, and I'll watch them again this Saturday in a walkthrough. But I saw a team that is pretty tough. They're resilient, but at that point, I think they were feeling good about the fact that their teammate was going to survive this. We didn't know that for a while. Let's go back. Um, I don't know if you'll you'll answer this for me. I I hope you will. Maybe you'll give me a couple names. Who's your favorite quarterback to work with before calling a game? To sit down to meet with the pre production part of it. Who's who's your favorite guy? So many of them are good. I know, but I could rattle off a lot of names here. I have a lot of experience with TB twelve, as you might expect, because we're the AFC network, and I felt like I lived in Foxborough for about fifteen years. You know, I did 106 Tom Brady games. I think 99 of them might have been in New England. So, I mean, I've had more experience with him in a production meeting. And he is, uh, he, he really trusts our group. And um, I've enjoyed those meetings a ton. He's never in a hurry. He's never rushed. You get him more, actually, weirdly, on the road than you do at home. At home, the Patriots used to kind of jam him in before they're Friday practice, and sometimes you were wanting a few more minutes. But you know, on the road, he's not going anywhere, and he enjoys sit talk football with people that he has relationships with, with Phil, with Tony, with me, our crew, and you know, Peyton. In these meetings, in his time, your head would be just completely spinning from how much he could talk about the technical side of football. He was so prepared. He's the most organized guy you'll ever meet in just wonderful meetings. Tony was the biggest show, Romo, in his day. That's what first kind of tipped me off that this was something that was going to be his calling. He, I mean, it was a it was a show. He would get up out of his seat. He would talk about his throwing motion, he'd be like running plays with imaginary receivers, and he'd be pointing here, pointing there, and he walked through everything, and you couldn't help but think, Man, if that guy could bring that to television, he'd be extraordinary. And he is. Um, so I hate to I hate to shortchange anybody. I've, I've dealt with some of the relics here in Romo, Manning, and, and Brady. And this modern generation is fantastic. I mean, Pat, Patrick Mahomes, he, he's not guarded. He's, he, he, he's terrific. Uh, Josh Allen, and I've Full disclosure, I've gotten to know these guys away from football. I play golf with both of them, Josh and Patrick, several times. And, um, you know, I think I've got a lot of production meetings to go with both of them. But uh, I, I really enjoy the chance to sit down and talk to them both. That position is the best position in sports. Number one, by far, a quarterback of an NFL team. If you're star quarterback, it's, it's awesome to see the way they – conduct business the way they handle themselves i think they carry a bigger burden than anybody else in any sport to, to represent a franchise and to lead a team there's so much that goes into it and i, I know it's kind of hard for us mere mortals to get our minds around the 50 million dollar position player but um the quarterback position but you see there's so much more than just playing a 17 game schedule into the playoffs there's so much and I, I know the money is 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 out of sight, but these guys, it's not a free pass. They work hard. They do. I want to talk about Romo because when I look at his timeline and he first starts doing games, 
it's almost like people are like, whoa, like what is what is this? This is this is another level. He's calling out plays. He's like, hey, they're going to look for the slot and all the and, and and then you know because it plays out very public. And then there's a bidding war and there's all this money. Then I feel like it's kind of, and I don't know how much you care or the crew or how much anybody pays attention to. It's almost like he's being held to what felt at first was this impossible standard. And it feels unfair to Tony um, that now people are like, wait, are you as good as you were in the beginning? It's like, no, I think we were so enamored with the beginning because it was so different. And he was such a natural instantly. Uh, I'm just kind of curious Again, I don't doubt you even care about any of that stuff, like who likes who more than the other, but how that's played out in a very short amount of time for somebody that's, you know, has one of the biggest platforms in the sport. Well, it's year six for the two of us, and it's now well over 100 games, and it's a high exposure. We had 30-some-odd million people watching our game last week, Buffalo and Miami. So when you're in someone's living room that often, People can start to nitpick a little bit. I think the guy's a genius. He's one of my best friends, and I love hanging out with him, and I love the entire experience. We have so much fun. Um, He, you know, when he started out, no one had ever done that before, where they foreshadowed plays. The closest anyone had ever come had been someone I was paired with long ago, Hank Stram. People used to talk about how Hank would say, are they going to run it to the right here, Jack? He would work with uh, Jack Buck on Monday Night Radio. And, and Hank had an incredible knack of telling you where the play was going to go. Tony took that and even got into more of the nuance. I think initially there was so much feedback about his projecting plays, forecasting plays, that Tony wanted to show people he was more than a one-trick pony. Now, I've never talked to him about it. No one's told him to predict fewer plays. I think he just wanted to be more than just that. He wanted to show off his research. He wanted to show off what else he saw. And um, when we have a quarterback, it's interesting. It's a very experienced and successful quarterback. And when Tony does go down that road of predicting plays, he's always going to be better when there's a veteran who has watched just thousands of hours of film because that guy i'll insert tom brady here has watched film and been in that film room as long as tony was and beyond and he sees what tony sees and a lot of times when tony would miss the mark which is rare but would have a a chance to try to foreshadow a play that didn't work out that way it wasn't that tony was wrong it was the quarterback that was wrong. Tony had it right all along, which way the play should have been directed. Um, but he's looked his best when he's been calling games with veteran players who can read it as quickly as he can. I mean, he's it's amazing how fast he sees it. So I love it. We're, we're going to be doing this together for a long, long time. And um, you know, I'm getting to the point now where we're late in the season. we got two games to go. And I'm going to go on to my other life. I'll be out on the West Coast covering some golf before I hit March Madness. And I, I love those partners as well. I mean, I've got great teammates, but just the fact that we'll close it down on January 29th, then we won't do another game until next September. I miss that time. I miss, I miss Saturday night. I miss Sunday afternoon. I mean, we, we, we have fun every step of the way. He's the best. To be 
a franchise, and, and, and you may not like that word for a person, but to be somebody who's been with CBS this long and know that, and you know, I, I think it's, it's at times, you know, we'd be at ESPN and we would kind of talk about things and somebody would go to another company and we'd compare notes and all these different things. It's just very human nature. And to be fair to ESPN, there was hundreds and hundreds of us, you know, we're all trying to figure out how we fit in neurotic every three years, two years, you're up and what's going on to be somebody who comes in to a network that that has less moving parts, but decides, okay, you are part of this family. You know, we're all we're all driven, we're all competitive in our own ways, and I, I don't know the ins and outs because it's not like we're close as if I know all the all the contract stuff. But to know that, hey, I can call a place home and be the face of a place. There's only a handful of people that really get to say that. Do you allow yourself to acknowledge or or have moments where you think? Yeah, my life is really special, but this is another level in this industry that very few ever get to reach. Well, first off, do I stop and pause and think? Uh, think I'm I'm very fortunate every single day. In fact, I don't. I, I truly do not put my feet on the floor until I have my morning ritual of prayer, and I, I give thanks every day for a lot of things I've been blessed with. But always one of them is the chance to live out the childhood dream. Now, am I aware of? The fact that all of these properties have have been entrusted with me for a long, long time. Yes, I am aware. It doesn't mean something to, to me. It means a ton. It really does. I, I never wanted to work anywhere else. I'm a horrible negotiator because I've said publicly probably far too many times that I'm never going anywhere, that my goal is to work my entire career with CBS. My, my, my last show, I would like to be the 2036 Masters. So CBS already knows we don't have to worry about playing hardball with this guy. He doesn't want to go anywhere. And the truth is I never did want to go anywhere. Um, being at one place was important to me. Um, the broadcasters of my youth who from afar guided me and showed me the, the path to what it took to be a storyteller just as a viewer, as a fan. Little did I know, Ryan, I'd get to know all of these legends of my youth. They all became, most all of them became very important parts of my life, um, part of my life. Um, but I look back and, you know, I want to make those legends of my youth proud. I try to be a composite of all of them, whether it's Inberg or Summerall or Gowdy or Shankle or Jack Whitaker or Jim McKay. I mean, these these were my sports legends. These, these broadcasters were my legends. You know, I, I wrote them letters as a kid. You, you said it right. I mean, we didn't have ESPN when I was a kid. We did not have the plethora of sports television that's out there today. You waited until the weekends to get your games. I felt like I had a relationship with all of them. As a fan, I didn't know any of them. So I started to write fan mail. I heard back. From one in particular, Jim McKay used to write me back. It was meant a ton to me, you can imagine. So when I get mail today, they're going to hear back from me unless that piece of mail is lost. They're, they're, everybody's going to hear back from me. Um, I, I my, From 11 years old on, I, I wanted to be just like them. And Jim McKay would be someone that would become a, a very dear friend of mine, a mentor. I was at Paul Bearer at his funeral and delivered a eulogy. Um, Jack Whitaker was was at our wedding. 
I delivered his eulogy. Um, tremendous honor. And Pat Summerall was my colleague and mentor at CBS for 10 years. I would have been his services, but we uh, it was on a weekend where we had a golf event. We basically did a 15-minute on-air eulogy. Um, Ken Venturi was my partner in the booth for 17 years. I was asked to deliver his eulogy. You know, these are these are heroes to me that I could, as a young boy, I could dream about one day maybe getting a chance to meet them. But to work with them, to be able to stand up and speak on their behalf at the end, it's been it's been one of the great honors of my life. I don't take any of it for granted. I'm 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 the most grateful guy in the world for CBS and CBS to give me the chance to do this as long as as long as I have. And um, I, I, you know, I know that Derek Carr said this recently, but I, I would rather say that I worked my whole career at one place and and never work again anywhere else. It's that's it's the Roger Staubach model, you know, the one team guy. That's just who I am. I know I had this follow up about the the human nature side of us where we see this broadcasting carousel of the last two plus years you're like what and i i felt like you were one of the five people that maybe you know could speak to like hmm these this is some interesting stuff these are some developments but there isn't really a follow up now because i i know what the answer is well i'm i'm so happy to have what i have and CBS has been good to me, and they've been very good to me um, as far as entrusting me, believing in me, giving me opportunity, and rewarding me. And all that stuff has been a little right over it. And people speculate and talk about the carousel you're talking about and, and the money and all that comes with it. Um, you know, I've lived a life that far beyond anything I could have ever dreamt. Even as an 11 year old boy, I could not have imagined it would be this good. So, uh, I'm happy for, for people. They want to jump around and find something that makes them happy. I know this, you know, I could never walk away from, from wanting to work with Tony. I can never walk away from the masters tournament above all, you know, the masters was the, the tug for me. Not that golf is more important to me than the NFL. It's just that was the ultimate premium storytelling event. And I would listen to the voices and their erudition about everything from the subjects they were covering to the landscape. And it was just poetry in their voices. It was lyrical broadcasting. And I wanted to be able to have um, the ability to have, have the warehouse of phraseology and vocabulary to be able to try to be one of those voices that I used to listen to that stirred me, that captured my attention. I was enraptured in, in, by, by listening and trying to mimic all of them. And anyway, it's, uh, it's no, it's no big secret that I've, I've said that, uh, I wanted to broadcast 50 masters. I would like to be broadcasting the NFL up into that year as well. So that's the plan. We'll see, God willing, this health stays up and everybody still wants me to do it. But um, I would like to be able to say when it's all said and done that I worked at one place and, and um, I got to to close out my career in Butler Cabin and 
with no fuss, no fanfare, and call it a career. I, actually, it's, I adjusted the number to 51, by the way, Ryan. I was given this speech in, in L.A. and all weird kind of, how does this happen this way? Jack Whitaker introduced me, presented me with this award. And at that engagement, I happened to mention that I wanted to work 50 masters. That was my goal. And I announced my retirement was April the 8th, 2035. Because I'd already looked up the second Sunday in 35 is, is that's the uh, April the 8th. And that night we were at the Hotel Bel Air having a nightcap. And he said, I heard what you said about 50 masters. I said, well, what, what did you think, Mr. Whitaker? He said, um, I think you got to go 51. I said, why? He said, we do the math on it. The 51st masters for you would be the 100th playing of the masters. He said, I think it's important for you to be there during the next century. And I think it's important for Augusta also. So it's a very nice thing for him to say. So I adjusted the goal to 2036. Okay. So I have two things here before we finish, if you don't mind. Um, I not being, you know, I've golfed. I'm not into it uh, to the level of like working with somebody like Scott, you know, who would teach me about it. And then, you know, the cat, I mean, never forget, we had that tournament in Connecticut. And he's like, yeah, one of the caddies is staying with me. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? Why would a caddy be? He's like, man, you don't understand. Like when, when you might be on the wrong guy's bag, you know, you're trying to figure out a way to save, save money, any, any city, you know, it's this traveling circus. And then I started to become so enamored with the idea of this, this kind of like hundred piece rock band, you know, that just kind of travels the country. And there's so many parts of it that people don't understand, which is why I'm really excited for this new Netflix thing. Um, for the public to learn more about the golfers. And I think it's just great branding for any any product that just lets us in a little bit more. And once we know a little bit more, then we care about the outcomes. And for me, it's it's a perfect business model. Just some are reluctant to do so. Maybe they feel they don't need it. But I got to go to Augusta years ago. And as even on like as high as my expectations were, as somebody who was not, you know, living and breathing golf every single day, I was blown away. It was this like magical fantasy land of once you get through those gates and I would tell anyone you have to do and for you to be the host, you know, for us on television, I guess I'm, I'm searching for the story or I'm searching for the moment of, of when it felt real, uh, the steward of, of this event in a sense. But what do you think it is about the people that put on the tournament? in partnership with with CBS and in your relationship that make this thing, it seems to make it, it like if the goal would be impossible if you set out to say, this is what we wanted to do. But when you walk the grounds, you feel it in a way that is unlike any other sporting event I've ever been to. You mean like unlike a tradition, unlike any other type thing? <laughs> that would be a good line. <laughs> <laughs> Heard that somewhere before. Uh, you expressed it beautifully. And it, it really has integrity. And I think that's what you felt. It was at a level that nothing is compromised and history and tradition mean something, but moving it forward does too. And I, I listen, I'm going to be stepping on the grounds there for the 38th time here in about 70 days. And I'm going to be as excited walking onto the, onto the sacred sod, so to speak, of Augusta as I was that first time back in 1986. I still can't believe I get a chance to go there. And for you to say I'm a steward, that's that's all really nice. 
appreciate the praise, but it's about the tournament. It's not about the guy that happens to bring us on and off the air. And I, I just, um, Nick Faldo said something to me one time. I was doing a special about my partner, and he said, when you do the math on it in the Masters, he said, and I can look it up. You know, One year I hit 276 shots. It was good enough to win. One year I hit 291 golf shots. He said, I used to tell myself when I went to that one tournament that every single shot I hit is a matter of record. It's happening at Augusta. I put that extra pressure to be try to be perfect. This shot, wherever it is, whatever day it is, Thursday, the second shot into the fifth hole. He felt that was a moment of his personal history. When he said that, I knew exactly what he meant. Not that you get tongue-tied or slow to try to cobble together the right sentences, but everything I do at Augusta, I feel like people can go back and they will be able to look at it for years down the line. They're all on YouTube now anyway, all the broadcasts. Everything that leaves my lips is a matter of my personal record of how I approach calling the Masters. And that's important to me to try to be that exact and to frame it the right way, to have context and texture and have been able to pull out the right words at the right time. I think about it a lot. I mean, that event is on my mind every single day of my life. So it's been it's been the ultimate experience for me. I don't like to say I favor one event over another. I've loved being able to call the NCAA tournament for over 30 years and the NFL and you know, next year's a Super Bowl year for us and be my ninth Super Bowl as a play-by-play guy or host. Those are massively important events, but for some reason, the Masters is where you kind of feel like you want to live up, live up to that level of perfection that you witnessed that day you were there, Ryan. I want to close with this. As you mentioned, the tournament, this will be your last one. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly a Heartfelt congratulations on the 2023 Gerald R. Ford Award, uh, which basically essentially is awarded to somebody who represents collegiate athletics. Uh, the combination of all these things in your final call, what will that be like for you? Well, I haven't thought about that. Um, <laughs> I get really maudlin thinking about it. it's the last one, but I am excited about it. I need some time back. I've been a road warrior for a long, long time, uh, for more, way more than half my life. And believe me, I it's been a blessing. It's just my, I have two young children at home that I need to be home a little bit more often. And I got to do it for a long, long time. We have an incredible stable of play-by-play guys, at CBS. And I, it was time someone else get a chance. And that's going to be Ian, Ian Eagle. And he'll crush it. He'll be great. I mean, before I took over, Ryan, the most anyone had ever called it play-by-play was six. Inberg did it six times. Brent did it six times. When I first got the job to move from the host to, to, to the seat by, on the floor by Billy Backer, I thought, it'd be nice to be able to do seven. That would be really cool if I could do seven. Well, this will be my 32nd. So I far exceeded the goal. That's just a personal goal that probably I'm the only one that cares about it. The Gerald Ford thing last week was... Uh, uh, it, it was it was it meant it meant a lot. President Ford, you would know this, but he was the captain of the Michigan football team, and way back in the '30s, and took his football lessons and, and and applied those to his life experience, and became eventually the president of the United States. And 
I think it surprised a few people when I when I opened up my remarks with the fact that I'd had dinner before with President Ford. I was playing in the Jerry Ford Invitational in Vail, Colorado, a golf event, a fundraiser. And I was playing with Gary McCord and John Denver. And much to my astonishment, President Ford drove out in a cart. We were on the 11th fairway. And he said, uh, hey, I would like your group to sit at my table tonight. Would you guys, would you guys join, join me? And of course, you know, I was, I was in shock and I was thrilled to accept that invitation. And then that night I go to, to the, the table at the appointed hour and there are place cards. And I had Betty Ford sitting to my right. It was next to her. And on my left was Bob Hope. And president Ford was across from me. So my hearing's never been great. His hearing wasn't all that strong at that point. So I didn't really get a chance to converse with, with president Ford, but I did get a chance to, to, to wrap up uh, quite a bit with Bob Hope, which was a huge thrill. This was one of the great Americans and great givers of himself of all time to people. If you don't know who he is, kids, go and look at what this guy did for the troops back 40 and 50 years ago, what he did for this country. But anyway, my, my memory of the night was Dolores Hope, who's sitting about three people around the table, said, excuse me, young man. Mr. Hope was really up there in years. He said, would you mind helping my husband? He can't cut his meat. So I was more than eager. I took his fork and my, and my knife and I cut up a steak. And he, he was so up there in years, he barely spoke. And I thought I'd done a really good job, you know, slicing up a, a filet mignon. And she looked over and said, could you make them smaller? So I took the pieces I'd cut and I just, I mean, I had it down to just like little strands of, of meat. Like when you have a baby and you first introduce them to, to chicken or, or steak, and you cut it up into the tiniest little pieces. And that's what I did for Bob Hope. And that's my story about President Ford. <laughs> so <laughs> I would like to have said that I looked across the table and I said, Mr. President, you don't know this, but in about 30 years from now, I'm going to receive an award that has your name on it. I'm looking forward to telling about this night, but that never happened. Real quick, how did Denver hit him? How did he do? Yeah, how did John Denver play? Oh, he was a he was like a 12 handicap. He was yeah, a okay. good man. And I played I played golf with him quite a few times. I think about him, you'd be surprised. This, you know, he died tragically in an experimental airplane that he was piloting that he, the, the fuel gauge was off and his plane after taking off from monterey airport in california plunged into the pacific and that was on uh, october the 12th 1997 and you know i lived in pebble beach for a little over 10 years and i still have a home there but on october the 12th 1997 there, there's a little monument there and there's a Something scratched out on a piece of driftwood that says John Denver and has his birth date and his date of death. And I would go out there and and remember him, say a prayer for him every year on that date, October twelfth. Um, that was the day he died in nineteen ninety seven. But it was a life that uh, hosted the you know he hosted the Oscars, he hosted the Grammys, he was in movies with George Burns. Oh God, and you know. Country roads, take me home. He was a he was a he was a good person, really good person who um, didn't get to live life for as nearly as long as it should have been. Well, Jim, this has been uh, 
a thrill for me, you know, um, and I, I kind of was kidding at the, the beginning about, you know, when I was looking up stuff, I went, man, you know, it's just because, but that's a me thing. I've been watching you since I was, you know, 10. So getting to run India a couple of years ago for the first time and you saying so many kind things, uh, about the radio show going back to the years, true. uh, it's true. I've been waiting for the invitation for two years. Uh, okay. It's not like we're going to be doing this the next week. So I've been checking my voice messages every day. Where's Ryan? Where is this? So seriously, great admiration. I hope it's not uh, two more years before we talk again. Sounds great. Enjoy the game this weekend. Uh, thank you for allowing me to uh, spin off of some of my my fond memories uh, from my broadcasters of my youth to, to Mr. Hope. It's been fun. Absolutely. This was a thrill, and, I, and I'm sure everyone's going to love it. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. Before you jump to Life Advice, again, lifeadvicerr at gmail.com is the email address. A couple of heaters for you here on Friday. Uh, our picks contest continues. Uh, my picks uh, will be the picks that I did in the open. I'm laying the points of San Francisco. I'm taking the points of the Giants. I'm laying the number with Kansas City, which I don't necessarily love. And I just, I don't know, I got this Bills thing, even though it's moved a couple points. Uh, the Cincinnati O-line thing is concerning for me. So those are my picks, the same as in the open. Kyle? Uh, okay, yeah. Before I say, I'll just say where we are now. Um, you went three and one last week, so you're up to forty two percent, and I took two nosedives, so I'm down to thirty four percent. Because it's a contest with my picks, I'm not necessarily picking exactly what I want, but it, I'm just kind of, I kind of feel like I have to pick against you at this point, or, or you pretty much got this sewn up. So um, I will be taking uh, the Bengals plus five and a half. Uh, and I will be taking uh, Philadelphia minus seven and a half. And then just to try to make up some ground here, I'm going to take the uh, Bengals uh, over, which is 48 and a half. So Bengals bills over 48 and a half. And uh, one of us has to be wrong here. So uh, unless it's pushed. So uh, hopefully this will swing the thing back in my my favor. Not offended. We'll fade Rosillo. It's competition. No issue with it whatsoever. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Okay, let's get to life advice. Lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. We've already checked in with Kyle. All right, fellas, love the pod. Six foot one, 180. Not a big weights guy, but can rip a 630-mile half marathon. All right. Cool. My fiance are, and I are taking a trip to visit her older sister in Berlin. Connecticut? I don't think so. The sister and I are pretty close. I've known her 10 years. The three of us went to college together. I've lived in New York City since graduating. And given my fiance is not a planner and she is, I sent her a WhatsApp to discuss dinner res clubbing plans. So way to text people that are overseas 
or that want to cheat on each other. <laughs> I was uh, say. Yeah. Or people be like, hey, do you have WhatsApp? Like, what do you, you fucking live in Delaware? Like, what? <laughs> um, things went off the rails pretty much immediately. She says she really wants to go to a particular club with us. I Google the place and it's for sure a sex club. I responded by sending her a view of the club that lets people know what to expect. Here is a review, Kyle. You fired up? <laughs> yeah. What's it? I wonder what kind of a uh, stance the review takes. I'm ready. Right. Here's what it says for Berlin Yelp sucks sex club. Uh, quote, door policy, wear your best underwear <laughs> and be prepared to leave your clothes in the cloakroom. Different to other clubs, big groups and foreigners are not a problem, but they won't <laughs> let you in if you're not prepared to show your body and get into the sexual atmosphere of the club. Imagine just being at the door and the door guy's kind of like, eh, and I'm like, no, I'm down to fuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What the fuck? <laughs> Just let me get a couple CC and sevens in me. Yeah. I will go in the bathroom. Yes. I'm wearing deodorant, <laughs> dick. To which she responds. So this, the brother sends this to the fiance's older yeah. sister. Yeah. Like, just like, so you know, in case you missed this. Right. <laughs> just a heads up. The, the special ends at seven. To which she responds, quote, there are certain days that are more about costumes than others. So it is a bit like an everyday requirement. That wasn't reassuring. I couldn't tell if this was a joke or not, so I changed the subject, kind of assumed this wasn't going to come up again. However, it's getting closer to the day of our trip, and she's pretty insistent on us going. Again, this is a WhatsApp only to me. <laughs> That's fucking weird. For context, we're fun, outgoing, but a pretty standard New York City couple. Nothing that screams <laughs> pretty, sex club. Pretty standard. Yeah, Front of the mill about couple. the two of us. And for what it's worth, the group of people here is good looking. I'd say solid eight and up. So these people are all hot as shit. A New York City eight? What dude gives himself an eight in New York City? You better be fucking <laughs> a head turner walking around Soho. Like, I went to Rag and Bone. They thought I was the model. All right. Guess the overall question is, yeah, I got a few. What am I supposed to do with this? Do I try to defuse the fiance, defuse this with the fiance ahead of time? Explain what's going on. Am I being too uptight about this? Should I just go with the flow? Do I let the sister bring it up herself? The whole situation is pretty wild and feels like it could blow up in my face in some unexpected ways. Yeah, there's a few. Yeah, you want to go first? Uh, sure. I mean, I don't. I think that the easiest thing would be like. You know, you probably should have said this a while ago, but you, I mean, what's the problem? It's like you're just communicating with her sister. Obviously, it's your fiance. The family's sort of close, but you could totally just be like, hey, yeah, told her she's not into it. We can't be we can't do it. Like, I don't know. I don't know if she's close to her sister. You could have just told your fiance like, hey, just reached out to try to get some planning going. And, you know, I think she might be taking this in a different direction. And uh, I just wanted to run this by you. I, I didn't, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure. I figured I'd let you put your two cents in on this, but it just seems like something we should discuss. And then the fiance can just say, no, absolutely not. You'd be like, great. That's what I thought. Like, I don't see what's wrong with doing that. I mean, it's maybe it's weird that this plan has been, you know, being hatched for, what is it, like three months now or something uh, without you saying that. But unless, you know, as long as she doesn't think it's weird that you're talking to her sister, I don't think there's anything wrong with this. Uh, and then I think going with the flow here, you know, you're probably going to be going in there with uh, some American attitudes and a not so American attitude -y sort of place. So, you know, if like you say, you guys are all, you know, pretty good looking people like, you know, how many times does the, you know, watch out for those European men uh, topic come up. So, I mean, I don't know, you might think it sounds pretty good. And then all of a sudden you look over and you're, you know, 
<laughs> your fiance is nowhere to be seen and you're like, oh no, your heart starts pounding. Just think about that for going with the flow. I'm not sure if you'd want that, you know, to be the case with you. Um, you don't want a Tom Wamsgams thing to happen either. I don't know what's going to happen to you. I'm just saying, uh, it, you, I think you're probably not prepared for everything that's going to happen if it is just a sex club. So, you know, I don't want you to be having any closed loop systems you weren't ready for and then wondering what the hell she was doing. So, uh, I would say just talk to your fiance. And if you think you got to read that she's not going to be into this, this is a great way to not make your trip have this weird question mark, dark cloud that could possibly happen over it. Unless you guys are all into stuff like that, then I, you probably wouldn't be writing the email though. Business is my fucking. Uh, <laughs> I think deep down, my question for the guy is: Do you kind of want to go? Do you kind of want to go? Because I think a lot of dudes out there. You ever go anything really weird, Kyle? Weird? No, I really don't think so. No, yeah, I feel just... like you have to know. I feel like you have to know. It's a bit like the Costanza thing, like where it's like, if I could just date one of these models, that's what I look at when I see some of these celebrities. I'll be like, what's up with that guy? It's like, I think he just dates one and then he gets to like, there's some sort of membership thing like Costco <laughs> yeah. and you don't really, I don't know, you don't, you don't know until you know, like you can't figure it out. So I think the sex club invite, I've never, I've been to a couple things that were sketchy, but nothing even close to this. Uh, I would likely stand in the corner and just be like, can I have another vodka soda? So I don't, I don't know that I would, I just don't think I would be down. Anytime that I've ever heard about any of this kind of stuff, it's like, think about it this way. If there was a place where people knew they could get just weird with other strangers, would those be people you would actually want to hang out with? You know, like I remember hedonism in the grill, right? When I was down in Jamaica for a while and then guys were like, oh man, we got to go over to hedonism. And it was like, what is the deal? Like what happens? Is it some weird sex resort? Like I need to know more about it. Like and six guys can't just show up. You're supposed to bring couples. I, I think the rules, I don't know what the hell. I mean, it was a long time ago, but then like somebody went and they were like, dude, it's just a bunch of older people naked it wasn't that fucking great you know so like the concept of like oh there's this sketchy jamaican thing and it's not sketchy at all it's like you can go book a thing on fucking travelocity right now if you wanted to i think so i would ask i would ask well the email i would ask you to ask yourself some real questions do you kind of deep down want to go it doesn't sound like you want to but i was wondering maybe just a little bit if you want to i think the whatsapp thing's a little weird i think that's the older sister it's a little weird i don't I don't know. There's a lot of stuff I've seen online that I don't think is, I don't think they're really related, but, uh, I think this would be a really super easy to shut this down. Like on the, if you're on the other end of this, if you're into the sex club world, how many, you know how many times these people are told actually, no, I don't want to go to that a lot. <laughs> you're not going to be the first person because you know, that's not really what we're interested in here. So, uh, yeah, maybe she's waiting for you guys to go because she can't get anyone over there to go. Yeah, <laughs> she's right. Like, oh, my sister will be a shoo-in. <laughs> There's a lot of flags. Yeah, because I'd always hear about like something in New York City, and certainly these things are, exist. But you know, former lacrosse guys from Vermont, when I would go visit them, those those were not the dudes that were plugged into the late night weirdness of of that world. You know, and I'm I'm sure it exists, and you, I think you have to kind of know somebody. Uh, I've never been to anything. I went to one thing that was really fucking weird late once. I think Russians were involved. I'm not sure, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything remotely like this. Like, no, I, I didn't, I just, again, stood in the corner and no clothes came off. So I was, I was good to go. And again, it was like a public place. Let's like make this weird. I've already feel like, as I've said it out loud, it feels weird <laughs> now. And it wasn't, it was like an actual operating bar and working place. It was just open super, super late. And there was like a downstairs yeah, a little part delirious. of it. That was, yeah. That was a little <laughs> weird and it was getting late quick. And you were like, yeah. all right, need to pull the cord here and get the fuck out of here. All right. I don't know if we helped there. 
I don't know. I just think even if you do want to go, I don't know if you're going to be happy with whatever's going on with your, you're bringing your, maybe you'd want to go with your buddies and then never tell anybody what happened. I just think this is, <laughs> this is not the same. And I think there's a lot of weird dynamics that come out of this. It'd be much easier to shut this down and wonder what if you went to that club that one What time. if it's a setup? What if it's a total setup? You said it's a fiance. What if it's gone too long and the sisters are talking to each other and they're like, he still hasn't said anything to you about it. And I'm on the WhatsApp. Like this guy's a, this guy's going to cheat on you. Don't oh, marry now him. This guy's got extra stuff to be worried about. Nah, this is definitely just, not helping. <laughs> we did it to him on a Friday. Oh, that man. That sucks. Okay. Uh, this is a really long one. It's about Equinox. I don't know. It's fucking long. Okay. It's too long, actually. But I think I might read it. All right. 32 years old, New York City. 5'11", 175. Uh, dealing with an injury, not in pristine condition. My best days might be behind me. I need one more good run. Dude, you're 32. You have another good run. Originally from California, family lives in LA. I'm in New York City a few years ago. Signed up for the Equinox because it was convenient. They're all over the city. It is. It's really convenient. Uh, it's great if you travel a lot. Great week to meet people. I've met nobody. Uh, I, I would. Well, 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 <laughs> I was going to yeah, say. <laughs> I wouldn't say zero people, but you get the point. Uh, but I'm there to work out and prove myself. Uh, although I did see a guy hit on a girl at Equinox the other day. It was, uh, it was a pretty impressive line. He's like, what do guys say when they hit on you at the gym? I was like, that's fucking good. All right. I was like, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Okay. Uh, or maybe I just made that up. Uh, at first I loved it. I even went on a date, made out with the sales girl, ex NFL cheerleader who signed me up. All right. Sweet. Post COVID. It's really crowded. Um, fast forward to last February. I'm trying to, paraphrase a bit of this because it's so long i aggravated uh, a hip injury at a beginner's yoga class i questioned the instructor long story short i spent the last 11 months in pain searching for answers and it wasn't until a few months ago that i finally found a good physician who put me on the right physical therapy plan part of the physical therapy plan involves using a pilates machine so i take my plan with me and head out to visit my folks in la uh, for the holidays in mid-december uh on the first day there he visits the equinox I guess he wants us to say which one it is. It's not one that I've been to in Westwood. As I usually do, I take care of my PT exercise. I start things off with the warm-ups, then head to the Pilates room, which is completely empty aside from an instructor sitting at a desk. I ask her if I could use the room for a few minutes, but she says no because I need to be supervised in the room and she has an appointment coming up. I explain I just need the machine for 10 minutes. It's for an exercise I need to do for an injury that occurred at another Equinox. <laughs> that you guys uh, made me get. <laughs> yeah. I, I put that one. I put that line down in the notes, Kyle, so just in case you did as oh, well. okay. All right. Right. So she says, let me talk to the manager to see what I can do. I thank her. She apologizes, blaming bureaucracy. Manager comes up. Um, manager comes up. He's a big guy, the type of guy who likes himself to a nightclub bouncer that likes to hit on the hot moms he trains. Wow. Okay. He gives me a flat out no to the room. No explanation. He doesn't even mention or provide me with a chance to go through the normal sign-up process for the room at any point in the day. Flat no. I'm not happy about it. I go back and forth with him a bit to no avail. Okay. Back and forth. Um. No avail. Then I asked for the regional manager's phone number who was off that day. This is getting okay. dicey. All right. 30 minutes go by and I walk by the Pilates room and it's still empty. My blood is starting to boil. I go in there and ask the lady, hey, so what happened to your appointment? Okay. Noted. She kind of muttered something like it hadn't started yet. And I say to her, I can't 
can I take a picture of this empty room end of your calendar so when I finally speak to someone, I can understand why I pay this much money only be told I can't use this room at all. I take the picture. She looks at me and says, I don't want you taking any pictures of private information. I respond and said, I just want to get my workout and I obviously don't care about that. Then I walk out of the room and proceed to finish the rest of my workout. That is the entirety of our conversation. Okay. Take notes. Um, 15 minutes pass by. I'm near the end of my workout, and this other guy walks up to me. He says he's also a manager. He's much smaller. He asked me if I went to the Pilates room. I said yes. I wanted to see if I could use it for my PT. Then it gets weird. He asked me if I insulted the Pilates instructor. I looked at him like he was crazy and said, what? Then he said, don't worry about it. Is there anything else I can help you with? I said, dude, you came up to me, but I'm still hearing, waiting to hear why I can't use the machine if you can help me there. He doesn't understand anything and walks away. Okay. I'm near the end of the workout and suddenly both the big and small managers approach me and tell me I need to leave because I insulted the Pilates instructor. I'm in complete shock. I asked them to give me an example of something I said, but they can't give me any and they say it doesn't matter because I broke the rules by insulting her and that I have to go. At this point, I go full Lou Pinella and lose it. Lou Pinella would lose his mind. That's a lot, dude. Uh, Tell them if they can't give me an example of something I said, they can go to security to walk me out while I finish up my last few sets. I'm lifting weights in their face as they're talking to me. So they do get security. I'm very polite and respectful. <laughs> no doubt. Wait. So wait. At this point, I go full Lupinella. I tell them if they can't give me an example of something I said, they can go get security to walk me out while I finish up my last few sets. Okay. Um, so they get security. I'm very polite and respectful to the officer when he gets there. He seems a little confused but follows the instructions of the managers. I gather my things up in the locker room while these two goons hover over the security guard and I. I take my time in the locker room undressed, try to jump in the shower, but the little guy won't let me. They make me go out the back and have the security guy lead the way while they follow behind us, but the guard doesn't know his way around. It keeps getting lost. I keep looking back at these guys saying, hey, you want to move up front and help him out here? As he tries to navigate this maze, they say nothing and keep walking behind us. I lose it again and start cussing them out as we head to the door. They walk me out and say, you're not allowed back here. We've house canceled you from all equinoxes. Happy holidays. I flip them the bird, but that's all I can do is they shut the door on me. The security guard apologized to me, tells me it's ridiculous, helps you get out of the parking lot, but I left fuming. Later that day, I'm finally able to get on the phone with corporate, but the guy doesn't even want to hear my side of the story and starts chewing me out for cussing at the managers. I try to interject and get my side in, but he keeps saying back to me, you keep cutting me off. I can see why they kicked you out. <laughs> I finally have it with a guy and ask why he even bothered calling me back. He then says it's, that it's his decision and that it's final. That's it. This decision is final. Even worse. Equinox has been a huge part of my life for the first oh, no. few years in New York City, and I've never had any issues at one in my neighborhood. Here I am kicked out and banned for something so trivial. I spent the next few days angry and wanting redemption. Ryan, what are my options? One, forget about it. Sign up at Crunch Fitness a few blocks down in my neighborhood for half the cost. Two, sign up under a new account at my New York City Equinox. Three, plant crystal meth on those two managers. Cover up the license plates. Call in a tip to the cops. Oh, that one seems aggressive. Some combination of three, one or two. As a longtime listener, I firmly believe you have a particular set of skills that make you perhaps the most optimal person on the planet to seek advice from this. Um, uh, all right. Um, is there any chance you suck? The first thing that tipped me off is when you're blaming the yoga instructor for your first injury. Okay. Um, it is annoying that you needed the Pilates. So say it's the yoga instructor's fault. All right, fine. And then you want to use the Pilates room. We have one here at the, my home gym. Uh, it's empty all the time. 
But I can also understand them wanting supervisors in there because if you get some fucking idiot, just not that you are, you clearly knew what you were doing, but just, hey, it's the Pilates room, help yourself room. I've never seen a gym where they just let people kind of use that stuff. All right. You probably had a little attitude as soon as the instructor was like, you can't use it because you're clearly explaining to us that you thought it should have been able to be used by anybody because it was empty. And I don't know that that's the way it works ever with Pilates studios that are in a bigger gym like this. Um, you asked her about the appointment after it was empty. So that wasn't great. Um, then once you realized it was empty, you took a picture of the empty place because you were mad because we don't like being told that we can't do something, whether you're fucking two or 20, 50. My dad sometimes at 70, you know, like, be like, hey, dude. And none of us really like it. Some are worse than others. You seem to really not like it. And all she did was tell you you can't use the fucking room. And then she probably lied about the appointment. Or maybe she didn't. Or maybe the other person was late. You went in there assuming the worst because you were already sort of pre-pissed off. And then when you asked if you could take a picture of her calendar book, that's totally that's crossing insane. the fucking line. That's the same like, guy. <laughs> once you said that, you lost me. I appreciate you listening to the pod. Once you said that, you totally fucking lost me. Okay? Now, you've been very honest <laughs> to your own detriment in this email, so we appreciate that. So I don't know that you insulted her. But then when you were lifting, and it seemed like one of the managers was like, okay, what happened? And you were like, that didn't happen. And then you told them, if you want me out of here, go get security. Then they fucking granted your wish, and they They're did totally it. They're totally going to do that every time, by the way. <laughs> and, and then you started losing your shit on them, apparently two separate times. Hey, man, I love the gym. I love the gym, but you fucked up. And I think you took this to a level that it didn't need to be taken to. They may have lied about the insult thing, but the other part of it, especially with a gym this big, with the corporate structure this way, nobody's taking your side. Nobody's going back to a female Pilates instructor from corporate being like, we don't believe you. That's not happening. So I would, uh, Look, I'm pretty intense myself, but there's a few tidbits in this, clues, if you will, that tell me you're a pretty combative person, and I'm I'm not taking your side. Yeah. Um, you know, it seems a little bit like, you know, you go to a gas station, and you're like, or like a pizza place or something. You're like, hey, can I use your bathroom really quick? I'm going to buy something. It's like, this is kind of like the contract we kind of entered into. It's like, yeah, I buy something and I could use your bathroom. You're kind of a rest stop or you're a place, right? And they're like, oh, our bathrooms doesn't work or something, or we don't have a bathroom. And it's like, when that is in, in that instance, you could be like, I see the bathroom key right there. You could be like, so where do you go to the bathroom? Or you could just be like, okay, all right. What's like, what's going to happen here? What do I, I I'm going to accost you until you hand over this bathroom key. And then it's like, no, you're, you're dug in and I'm just supposed to kind of let it go. Sort of like there's rooms you don't go in, in some places where it's like, yeah, that's for staff only. Obviously that's not what you're doing, but like you're a customer, the business has rules and you know, you pretty much, you know, they can pretty much uh, refuse service to anybody. That's kind of, there's a sign there usually in any business somewhere. So it's like, you know, once you kind of get the feel for the situation, you kind of, it doesn't really matter if you're right or wrong. Like there, it could be that there's like, 
an insurance thing and she's like, all right, it's a stupid policy. And it's like, she could tell you the whole policy or she could just tell you no and hope that no's enough for a person, you know, in a place of business that you'll be like, oh, they said no. All right, that's stupid. But, you know, I don't know. It just seems like, I don't know. It seems like perhaps you were an unruly customer multiple times. And um, I think it's definitely, I think what, what muddies it up is because you're like, you know, I pay, what is it, three, if you have the, if you have the, you know, the any club pass, you're paying $300 a month. You could probably say like, well, I should be able to pretty much, you know, this should be seamless for me wherever I go, the amount of money I pay. But, you know, the truth is, like you said, like, you know, Equinox is fine. They're not like, they don't need everybody to be thrilled with them all the time. So, you know, if you, if you're pissing people off and you're pretty much running out of friends and your only friend is a security guy that bounced you out of there, I mean, I don't know, you're not really going to get your way. I think you should have just probably said, okay, and, you know, maybe let out a sigh or, you know, maybe a little chuckle to let her know you're unhappy with her. But yeah, like getting in, like, I just need to take a picture of your calendar for my records. I mean, that's kind of insane behavior and, you know, just, just all the other stuff. I think uh, you made it so you, you you had no friends in this interaction uh, quickly. So uh, yeah, maybe you're a gold's gym guy now or something, but uh, I don't know. I try to, I try to work on your people skills, even though it, it seems like, you know, with Equinox, things should be catered to you more than in other situations. Yeah, but you always got to remember too, like on the other side, and that's why everybody should probably be a bartender or a waiter or a waitress at some point. Like everybody should have to work in the service industry for like one year so that I think it would all make us better with other people. Yeah. Because, you know, that manager may be the worst. The Pilates instructor may be a liar. You know, there may be some real truth, but you, you know, I mean, there, there are plenty of times where I'm like, all right, I'm going for it and I'm going to tell this person how I feel. But, uh, there's a lot of times when, when I don't do it, I'm like, man, I'm really glad I didn't do that. Yeah. You know? And this is, those are like career things at yeah. times. So who knows? Those are far more important than getting a workout in. But yeah, I'm sorry, man. I got like eight or seven or eight things here that I wrote down where you, you kind of like tell us that you're ready to fucking go. Who won the turnover battle here? Not him, right? He yeah, right. I mean, he's, he's a minus eight. <laughs> I got him at a minus eight here. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, take the hit, man. Take the hit, especially when, you know, you're not running things. All right. Well, good luck. <laughs> That'll do it for us on Friday. Thanks to Kyle, as always. The Ryan Rosilla Podcast, Ringer's Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.